0: hi everyone and welcome back to how to college we're a podcast focusing on covering the journeys of first generation students and really how it's like being the first in your family to go through the college experience we do this through interviewing current students high school students mentors people from college advisors uh, really anyone that's connected to you know the first generation student so In today's episode, we're going to highlight the Challenger program at the University of Houston and speak with the program manager, Monica Floyd. Challenger is really dear to my heart because I was in it during my time at U of H, and I can say it impacted me greatly. You know, a quick quick skinny of the Challenger is is they're really a program dedicated to first generation students and helping these students get through college and, and have success in college. With that, I want to introduce Ms. Monica. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Well, my name is Monica Floyd. I have been working at the University of Houston with the Challenger program for almost 18 years. Um, I am a first-generation college student myself, and I was introduced to programs like Challenger when working as a college student at Texas Southern University, and I encountered Upward Bound. And as a first-generation college student, I was thinking if someone had told me that these type of programs existed, I would have gone farther than what I had actually done. And so once I learned that something like this kind of existed, I was sucked in. You know, I always tell people when you start working with students or you start working with um, what we call TRIO programs, It's really easy to kind of change your whole life goals, and I just fell in love with it. I bought into the concept that these organizations need to exist in order to help um, first-generation students, and that's what I've been doing ever since. The start of my career was really focused on helping first-generation high school students get into college, find money. And I used to have the attitude, it was my job to get them in. It was somebody else's job to get them out. And then ironically, the second half of my career has been ensuring that first generation college students graduate with their actual degree. So I have it from both sides of it, from what it takes to get a first gen into college to what it takes to get them through into the end.
0: Wow, that's that's quite quite a journey. So your journey. So you you went to TSU. What what was your what was your major? What did you graduate in?
1: So it was my goal to work for a newspaper. So I was a journalism major initially, uh-huh. um, as a psychology minor. And then when I graduated, I was offered the position to work for Talent Search, where I would go into high schools in HISD and help those students get ready for college. And mm-hmm. once I started working with Talent Search, I decided to go back in and get my master's under counseling. And I've just been doing that type of work ever since. Wow. I've worked for... Um, Texas Southern. I've worked for um, HCC Upper Bound Program. Mm-hmm. i worked for um, Wilberforce University in Ohio with their Gear Up Program. I also worked with um, Project Grad with helping students get ready for college And then, of course, um, back to TSU before coming to the University of Houston. And then recently, I started my own nonprofit that really gears toward um, providing additional services for first-generation college students, but more in terms of helping them from the beginning all the way through the end. So that mm. every time someone needs help with something, they have to find a new counselor, a new organization, a new project. Yeah. My goal is to be able to help them from the moment they start thinking of college all the way up to their highest degree.
0: Wow. Yeah. So it's been it's been quite a journey then working yes. with first-gen students. So when you were in your early days at HISD, what was a common thing that you saw a lot of students think about college? Like, was it, you know, did they think it was unattainable? Or, well you know, what's the most common thing you remember that students struggled with?
1: I think the process itself seems to be a little overwhelming. And when you don't know, you just don't know. So Mm There's always the notion of, well, if you have questions ask. but what happens if you don't even know what questions to ask? And the process is overwhelming in itself. You have to apply to colleges. You have to figure out how to pay for it. There's entrance exams. Um, Back then, everything was paper. Students could not even complete the registration for SAT, ACT. Like I literally would have to walk them through, this is your name. Print your name. This is your, you know, (laughs) so... Um, I had to develop a system to where I would break it down so that it didn't appear so overwhelming. So let's deal first with what colleges do you want to go to. Let's see what their requirements are. After we mm-hmm. see those requirements, let's test. Let's complete the application um, for you to take the test. Let's get a fee waiver that you know you can get a fee waiver to pay for those things. Mm-hmm. And then we would just gradually move through the system until everything was completed. The most stressful part is always the money side of it. Financial aid is crucial to mm-hmm. first generation students, especially those who are coming from those low-income backgrounds. Um, that is typically the stopper when yeah. it comes to going to colleges. Um, it's not that students don't believe that they can attend college. They don't believe that they can pay for it.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. and And, and you feel like it's it's, you know, you don't want to get into debt, yes. and then you feel obligated to maybe go an alternate route, whether that's, let's say, starting at community college, or not to say that's a bad thing, but, you know, starting at community college, or even, let's say, taking a gap year or something to save money up. And then a lot of times I've, I've seen students who take that gap year, not really take the next step because they, mm-hmm. they get comfortable, or maybe students that go to community college and then get thrown into a more college setting like U of H or U T and then they struggle with just being able to you know acclimate get used to, to acclimate, court. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's very important to to kind of find that financial aid piece initially because you don't you don't wanna go the long route if you don't have to, right?
1: Mm -hmm. And financial aid in itself is complicated. They want tax documentation. Many families um, are secretive or not secretive, but very cautious about releasing that kind of information. They hold um, social security numbers, bank statements, you know. So the hard part, especially when families... Um, are not typically those that have gone through the college process, they are hesitant to share that type of information. So the biggest challenge sometimes is getting the families to trust the people that they're working with in order to release um, that information to them. And then realistically, we don't have these conversations with our kids. Most times they don't know how much we make. They don't know... Mm -hmm. What yeah. dependents are claimed on taxes. Yeah. And so those are hard conversations for students to have with their parents too. Yep. Yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, definitely, definitely. And so kind of, you know, switching gears a little bit. So you you've had a kind of a, a journey and then you got to U of H and then the Challenger program. So what what stood out about this particular program and, and kind of <coughs> maybe talk through the origin and kind of what made you stick to it?
1: that's funny because when I came to U of H, I was like, I give it a year. (laughs) 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 Now it's like 18 years and I'm still here. What I, well, the biggest transition I think was really understanding the needs of the first gen coming from Texas Southern to university of Houston. I was thinking that the needs would be completely different from the students who attended um, that school versus this, the students that attend here now there are some differences to it but what I found was that once the students understood that there was a place that they could go they 100% bought into it and what I love about Challenger is that it's just not a place where we are helping you to um, do your financial aid and giving you some advisement but this is an organization where you become a part of a community. We are a family. Mm -hmm. And I tell people, it's like the mafia, you know, once you come in, Uh you never leave this place. You're always a part (laughs) of the Challenger program. And I love that not only do the students who participate currently, but our alumni are still invested in the success, not only of our program, but of the students who are part of the program. So I am 100% invested because the student's, that I work with are 100% invested. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and how did it, how did the program start? I know you've been here for 18 years, but I, I'm pretty sure the program was at U of H for much longer than that, right?
1: So Challenger has been at the University of Houston for about 35 years. Wow. Um, traditionally, it was formed under TRIO program, meaning it was um, federally funded through the Department of Education. Mm-hmm. Um it TRIO programs have been in existence for a really long time. Um, U of H, I believe, was the second program established under that type of funding. Um, it has always been a program that is geared toward first-generation college students, even before uh, first-gen became popular, you know, population that people want to deal with. Yeah. Um, we have always been federally funded, but then about Nine years ago, we lost that funding, and that's when challengers should have come to an end because typically universities do not pick up federally funded programs because now they're responsible for those um, those monies. Mm -hmm. But University of Houston did keep the Challenger program. And I do credit a lot of that to the alumni and to the current students who really vocalized that they felt this was something that needed to remain at the University of Houston. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, we still exist. Now, what is different currently is that under federal dollars, we were not able to work with all the populations. Mm -hmm. And now that we are funded through the university, um, we can serve um, special populations that we can before, for instance, um, students who are DACA or undocumented before mm-hmm. we could not service that group. And now we have, um, the availability to do so. Mm -hmm. Um, International students, we have a very small population of them, but under federal grant, we could not serve those. Mm -hmm. Um, We had income barriers, because there were only a small number of students that we could allow that did not meet the low income status. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of students at U of H who are first gen, but not low income. And we can now service that particular group. And then the great, greatest part of it is that I don't know why the world seems to believe that once you get that one degree, all is right with the world. And what we're realizing is that the second generation group is, also struggling oh, yeah. to get through this process, and they're in a unique situation because they no longer qualify for services um, because of how much they make, and so there's not a lot of opportunities. So if there are a second-generation college student who's operating as though they are first-gen, meaning yeah. they're just as lost, um, we're still able to allow those students to participate in the Challenger program.
0: Yeah, and, and that's, that's important because inclusivity is is so key these days and not putting a box around a student and and kind of on that same realm, you know, talk, talk me through how you approach whenever you get someone new that comes in to your office. And we just saw a student (laughs) here earlier walk in looking very clueless. Um, And, you know, I'm sure it's not a one size fit all approach. Um, I'm sure there's many programs out there in different colleges, universities that kind of do the same thing. But. Talk me through your approach and how you kind of do that whenever you get a you know a new student.
1: Well, I want them to feel welcome from the moment they walk into the door. So I am never too busy to stop and address a student when they're coming in, regardless of who I'm talking to. So that's the first part, because usually by the time a student makes it to my office, they have been to several others and they are usually on their wits end. The last thing that I want to do is turn them away and say, come back or make an appointment two weeks from Friday. So I always keep an open door policy, um, Post-COVID, a little different. We're still reshuffling to kind of get back into the groove of the office. But um, they walk in. If um, they come in, I like to get a little background about who they are. How did they find me? Because that's always... um, a stretch on how they got to the Challenger program and then yeah. I will pull up their information in the system just to kind of get my own idea of what they may be encountering or what their difficulties may be while they're yeah. at the University of Houston. Um, after that is um, you, they complete an application, we go through an interview and then everything, the magic starts then okay. and then they're able to receive whatever um, services that are deemed necessary. Yeah. So the biggest part is kind of looking at the schedule. That tells a yeah. lot about the student. Um, most students kind of just go through selecting classes like it's a checklist. They say, I need English. Check. I'm taking English. They say, I need math. Check. I'm taking math. Yeah. But they don't think about balancing it out so that it really fits to their lifestyle, to their schedule, and to the way that they learn and study best. So some students, the focus is really on like looking at their course course load, see if it's well balanced. Are you taking, you know, too soft, too hard? Or are you overwhelming yourself with high demanding classes? And then you're wondering why you're failing at the end of the day? Are we spreading it out, you know, so that you can kind of balance it? Are you working? So we have to kind of dive into a lot of the personal aspects of the student in order to determine what's the best path for that student. My philosophy is no one's journey through college is the same. So there's no one set formula for every student. And so sometimes we have to really customize it to fit the student in their situation that year. And every year it changes. Yeah, yeah.
0: And and one thing I think of, You know a lot of you know the hosts that you know we work with especially in our podcast we're all kind of in similar ages maybe a few years older um so we you know we've you know i graduated college in 2017 um and that's you know i I hate to say it but that's now you know it's been a while now right Mm -hmm. Um, and i'm sure the student the way the student approaches things has changed um, even since when i was uh, a college student and now with covid and you know remote learning and all these things what have you noticed, at least in the few years, especially the last, let's say, four or five years of a shift in how the student approaches college, especially the first-gen student, and, you know, is it, it's, I'm sure it's different from, you know, my time in college.
1: I think the approach may be that there's more pressure. Um, Since um, University of Houston is now a tier one institution, the caliber of student that we're receiving is different from what we were receiving years before. Mm -hmm. So those students are already coming into the university, either with an associate's degree that they earned in high school or with a lot of dual credit, AP credit. And so they have a certain expectation for themselves. Mm-hmm. And it becomes really difficult to kind of shift the the ideal self versus how they visualize themselves and to deal with the reality of this is college now and you mm-hmm. might be a different student in yeah. high school than what you were before. Yeah. So with that kid, it's really trying to help them rediscover their new identity as a college student versus who they were as a high school student. And sometimes they're very resistant to that change. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit more delicate way to kind of approach them with it versus with you guys. I was just could straight out just say, look this is what you need to do. This is why. But yeah. with this group, you have to kind of dive into it a little deeper
0: mm-hmm. and
1: use a little bit more patience to kind of coax them through the process so that they can get on board because in their head, they need to be that top student. They mm-hmm. need to be the smartest kid in the batch. And mm-hmm. college is different. You know, yeah. you were big fish in a small pond. Here, you're just a little fish in a big pond. And it's hard for them to kind of re-grasp and see themselves. In that light, once they get here.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and on that same mold, you know, you see you see so many students come in through your through this program, and uh, so many of them get the help they need, they succeed. Um, And I'm sure, but there's you know there's a a, a, you know maybe a selective few that get the help, but they don't respond to it in in the way that maybe they should, or maybe that enables them to be successful. So, what are some common things that you see in that type of student that Let's say you, you wish that they would take better or that they would you know, improve on just, just so some of our listeners can, you know, can know, hey, you know, whenever there's resources out there, at the end of the day, you can have as many resources as you can. But the final success is a little dependent on you and your approach.
1: I think a part of it is understanding that if you ask for help, that does not mean you're not smart. Yeah. And a lot of the students don't want to ask for help. That is the most difficult part. And then once you receive it, if it, if it um, does not align with their whole thought process, they're resistant to it. So before I used to beg, please let me help you. I see a train. It's coming. It, you know, I see the wreck happening, yeah. but um, sometimes it's misinterpreted as you don't believe that I can do it. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. instead of me saying no i believe you could do it i just don't believe it's going to be done the way that you're doing it Mm -hmm. we have to reshift and what i've noticed from this new um, group they have a direct line from point a to point b and if anything interrupts that line they simply come to a stop Mm -hmm. and that old notion of if it's too low go over it if it's too wide you know go around it they don't they understand the path that they had ideally in their mind and there's no alternative moves to that path. And I mm-hmm. think that's what bring a lot of the students to a stop because when they encounter a roadblock or they encounter a hiccup, it's like, I don't know any other path that I want to take other than the one that I initially started on.
0: Yeah. 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 And, and that's a good point. You know, one thing, one thing to also touch on is over the last few years, it's been, it's been a crazy last Three Perfect. years with COVID, with all these things happening externally, and I'm sure it's taking a toll on the on the mental health of a lot of students, especially first gen students that have to deal with one being first gen, but then there's all these external stimuli now that that they have to deal with. So, from someone that sees it every day, you know, how do you encourage students in the topic of mental health and taking care of that piece? Um, because in my opinion, that piece, if that is you know, if that's not taken care of, that starts feeding into every single other thing um, in academics, and, and I'm sure it'll—it's it's not good for the student.
1: Well, what I love about this group is that mental health is not a secret. Like, they have absolutely no problem talking about it. Mm-hmm. They have no problem letting you know that it's a part of their daily lifestyle. They yeah. have no problem with seeking out the help that they need when they need it. Yeah. So that part of it, I think, is very different from what I used to see in the past, where it was kind of gentle, kind yeah. of bringing it out and encouraging them to seek help if they need mm-hmm. it. Um, these c- kids come right in the door and say this is what I'm experiencing I'm depressed and right. I'm like how do you know you're depressed you know right. they really identify if they're in touch with that the problem happens is that while the student understands where they are in their psychological state many of the families are still trying to come to the same understanding mm-hmm. and so we have cultural issues or just you know where families just don't embrace the idea of um, psychological help, or even if there's an issue. So that has been the hardest part. When the student identifies for themselves, I'm struggling. I can't stay in this state of being that I'm in. I cannot balance the load of academics with where my mental health is at this time. But the family are saying, you know, you're just being lazy, you know, pull it together, you know, go see the priest, go see the preacher. And we don't do this in our family. Yeah. So that's the hardest part for the students is not feeling as though they have that support when it comes from the family.
0: Yeah. 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 No, it's, it's definitely I'm glad that it's something more normalized these days. And there's resources like Challenger and even U of H has CAPS mm-hmm. that helps a lot of students. So it's good that we have these resources now. And, and kind of on a more positive note, you know, I'm sure with the amount of you just mentioned, you have 500 students now in the program. I'm sure there's days where it just gets hectic yes. and you're just meeting after meeting. What is one thing that whenever you're stressed or even just you're so just drowning with students that you think of that keeps you going like a like a thing from the past or a let's say something that you think about a former student a success story maybe one thing that you think of sometimes that makes you just feel proud of the fact that you're the <laughs> program manager for Challenger, you know kind of
1: keeps keeps you moving. I don't know. It's a lot. You know, for one thing, um, when I see students walk in, they are who I was. And I always think back to my um, college experience and always say if it wasn't for that one person who saw that I was in distress and really reached out and pulled me in, I would have never gotten to the place that I am. So I always tell students when they come in here, I'm giving you TSU love because that's what someone did for me. Mm -hmm. That's why it's never a moment where it's too big, it's too small, too busy, too much going on. If it means working after hours, I will work day after hours Mm -hmm. so that I get... Make sure that these students succeed. And I remember I had a kid once that asked me, you know, when I when I get successful, I'm going to do this. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 don't do that. You know,
0: yeah.
1: um, your success is my success. And he's like, what do you get out of it? And truly, <laughs> what I get out of it is the fact of knowing that there's so many students that's been impacted. So many students that probably would not have graduated or gotten to the level of success that they are at today if it was not for the fact that someone was here helping them through the process but the shining moment that proud moment for me is when i see my students reaching back and helping another student in return Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. that's the biggest payoff um out of anything that i could possibly do i find that as i am a big supporter of my students i learned during the pandemic when i started my whole nonprofit um journey that they are my biggest supporter too Mm-hmm. And so everything comes around full circle all the time. Yeah. And I believe that if we continue to invest in one another, eventually there should not be any more first generation college students um, going to college. This should exist to where we're still not struggling through the process and saying this student is the first in the family. This should be a right of every student to earn a degree and have a better quality of life.
0: Exactly, exactly. And And, you know, U of H is lucky to have the Challenger program, but I'm sure there's, you know, some listeners out there in our podcast that go to schools that might not have a similar resource. And for those schools that don't have a similar resource, and let's just say hypothetically you were pitching um, having something, what would be the main thing that you would say to a school on the importance of having a first generation program like Challenger?
1: I think it's understanding your population and the needs of the students. I think that um, everyone likes to kind of label first gen and put them in this one little neat box and that they look a certain way and that it consists of certain demographics of students. And the reality of it is that the first gen come from a wide spectrum of students. Mm -hmm. They come, some come with issues, come with no issues at all. Some Mm -hmm. are academically underprepared, a lot are academically overprepared, you Mm -hmm. know? And so understanding that there's not a one fit solution for every kid and that we really need to approach the student based on their circumstance, their situation. Mm -hmm. And then also understand that the biggest barrier that a lot of these students have is financial aid. Yeah. Yeah. And so there needs to be more things available to kind of uh, deal with these extraordinary circumstances. You yeah. know, some students don't have their parents, and so they exactly. can't provide information after they've gone under verification. Mm-hmm. And those little things will hang a student up to the point where they will never move forward. Yeah. And if they leave this university with even a small debt of a thousand dollars, that means that they will never return to the university. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah
0: these these programs are so important because of exactly what you mentioned and. You know you've said now challenger has been part of u of h for i think 35 something odd years yes and uh you know we, we're all especially in how to college we're hoping that that stays indefinitely and these type of programs can start popping up in all major schools uh, because even in your elite schools right you still have first generation students and they mm-hmm. have their own plights, and you know if you get in, get into let's say harvard and your parents haven't gone to college, but you have the grades. You know you have your own issues, right? So, the importance of these programs is, is you can't put you can't put a word on it. You can't put a number on it.
1: They need safe spaces, and I think the programs offer that. You mentioned students going to Harvard. So you have kids who are, who are coming out of these low income, um, mostly minority populated um, environments, and then they're being thrust into Harvard or Yale where social economics plays a huge part, they don't feel like they're in their place. They don't feel like there are other people that are kind of like them and they Mm -hmm. just need a a safe place to land. And Mm -hmm. these first generation programs allow them to see other students who are are going through the same process as them. Because when you're experiencing something, what do you do? You feel alone. I must be the only person who's going through this. And then to come amongst a lot of your peers who are encountering the same things, struggling with the same things, having the same celebrations, the same joys that's why these programs are necessary.
0: Exactly, exactly. But hey, you know, it was, it was great getting to know you during this episode and getting, getting kind of a taste of the Challenger program. We are really happy something like this exists right in our backyard, in my backyard. And, uh, you know, we hope to see you guys here in the future and maybe do some things with you. Um, So again, Ms. Monica, thank you. Thank you so much for the time. Thank you for letting us giving us a flavor of of the challenger program. And, uh, you know, we really appreciate it.
1: Oh, no problem. And I just want to say too, that the support from, um, our division, undergraduate student success, that has been a key part of it too, because if it was not for them also seeing the need and keeping the program, we would not exist at U of H. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. Exactly. But Hey, you know, thank you again for your time and, uh, we'll be in touch soon.
1: All right, thank you.
0: All right, take care.